0: this house costs over one million dollars this shirt costs 89 dollars I like it what do you think of this car? good car? is it? is this the top of the line one? they make a better one than this? the S-class you have one of those? Where is it? You know, in the Bible, Jesus went up to this guy and said, "Get rid of everything you own if you want to follow me." This car costs over one hundred thousand dollars. This one costs over half a million dollars. I'm going to ask if I can drive it. Hey, can I drive that half a million dollar sports car over there? Hey, man, really? What? Did I offend you? What? This motorcycle costs almost $12,000 and out of everything we've looked at today, I want this really bad. This car that belongs to our worship pastor, $1,800 bucks. You know the Bible never says you can't own and enjoy things like this. But the problem becomes when things like this start to own you. When your hopes and your dreams have to do with your possessions. When that happens, instead of you possessing your possessions, your possessions start to possess you. One day, a young man came up to Jesus and asked how he could become one of his followers. He was a good guy. He didn't hurt anybody. He did good things, but he had lots of stuff. And Jesus said, if you want to be one of my followers, you need to sell everything and then come and follow me. Well, the story ends with the young guy going away sad because it says he had great wealth and he couldn't give it up. Does Jesus really want us to sell everything? Do we have to get rid of everything to follow him? Well, today, as we continue the series, Things I Wish Jesus Never Said, we're going to unpack this hard saying from Jesus Christ.
1: Yeah, I, I tell you what, we're going to jump right in today because, I mean, you just you heard what the topic is. I mean, Jesus basically told this guy that that he's got to sell everything that he owns and then to follow him. And I know right now you are sitting on the edge of your seat because you're wondering, like, what's going to happen here? Is Is the pastor going to say, yes, that's exactly what Jesus said, let's go do it, and you're going to have to call your real estate agent, and, like, this week is going to be a whirlwind week for you? Or maybe the pastor is going to kind of find some type of loophole or kind of explain this thing away. So I don't want to keep you on the edge of your seats for very long. So let's have the ushers come forward with the Bibles. And uh, we're going to dig right into this story. If you don't have a Bible and you would like to follow along, just raise your hand. They will come by. And uh, when you find, when you get your Bible, we're going to open up to the book of Matthew. It's one of the books that basically lays out the life and teachings of Jesus. It happens to be the very first one in the New Testament. When Jesus has his disciples, they are gathered together. He has been busy preaching and teaching. And for Jesus, um, there were a lot of people that were attracted to hear him and wanted to to come and hear him because he just gave these just amazing teachings. Now there's a whole other group that would come to see Jesus. Not so much because they were interested in Jesus, but because they were frustrated that the people that normally came to them are now going to Jesus. So they want to come to Jesus to find out You know, what's the big deal with this guy? And uh, so they'd always come with these test questions. So Jesus has already faced a couple of these test questions from this group of people known as the Pharisees. And uh, another guy ends up walking up, and he looks a lot like a Pharisee. All right, now a man, this is in Matthew chapter 19, verse 16 through 20. Now a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life Jesus says, well, why do you ask me about what is good? I mean, there is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Which ones, the man inquired. Well, Jesus replied, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false witness, honor your father and your mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All of these I have kept," said the young man. "What do I still lack? Now I wish that I could have just been there to kind of see this unfold, because this guy walks up, and uh, he was really a sight. I mean, you could tell immediately just from the way that he was dressed that he was a very wealthy person. Now, thankfully, uh, we have—I talked about Matthew the first gospel, the first book about the life and teachings of Jesus. But there's actually like three others that. Also, lay this out, and we have the same story kind of told from a little bit different angle in each one of those. And so, from one of the other ones, we find out that not only is he rich, but he's also a young man. I don't know if he made his fortune, maybe he inherited it, but we also find out that he is a ruler. So, he's already kind of risen up in the ranks. I mean, this is a guy that just he's really, really gifted. All right. And he comes to Jesus and he says, Good teacher. I mean, he's not one of these Pharisees that came before this just trying to test him. I mean, you can tell that there's a, a sincerity about this. He's coming not to try to, to test Jesus, but to ask him this question of how to find eternal life. What is it that he must do? What else is lacking? Because quite frankly, there's very little lacking in this man's life. He's uh, just, you know, is one of those, those guys that's just, it's just wrong. Because really there should be equity in the way that gifts are given, right? And most of the time, we see that you know the the guy who's the great athlete, he's not a very smart guy. Okay, the guy who's really really good looking, you know, doesn't do do well in, in physics and chemistry. Okay, so there's always equity there, right? And of course, the folks that are really smart in chemistry and equity, you know, and, and, you know they they struggle in other areas. This guy has everything. Some people just can't speak, you know. Yeah. But that's what happens though. So this guy comes in. He's just an amazing specimen. And so Jesus decides to give him a very quick answer. He's going to cut to the chase. He lays out the Ten Commandments. Not all of them. This is the back half. Now here's one thing you've got to remember about the Ten Commandments. And If you're not familiar with the Ten Commandments, it's those things that they're always trying to take down out of the courthouse and all the public schools and whatnot. But basically the Ten Commandments are broken up into like a 4-6 pattern. And the first four are all about loving God and the back six are all about loving people. And so he's, he's really, Jesus is heavy on the loving people portion. And then he throws in one more that's like a really, a biggie. It just pretty much covers that whole back half. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. And there's a command in Leviticus 18.5. It's one of the books of the law. And this is what it says. This is God speaking through Moses to the Jewish people. He says this. Keep my decrees and laws for the man who obeys them Will live by them. I am the Lord. Jesus, He's really just given the guy what is already in the scriptures. This young man comes over, says, What must I do to be saved? He says, You already know. Just follow the Ten Commandments. If you do those things, you'll live. When you go out, just make sure that you you don't murder people. You know? If you if you go home and you see a beautiful woman that's that's you know married to your neighbor, don't sleep with her. Don't steal. It's not yours, don't take it. Pretty straightforward. The young man, he hears all of that. And he says, hey, I've been doing that since I was a kid. I've obeyed these since the very beginning. But what do I still lack? And what does he lack? I mean, right there, doesn't it just say, if you do those things that you will live? So he should be lacking nothing. But yet, Jesus looks at him with the sense of love, as though, as though this young man is on to something. And he is on to something. Have you ever gone through your life and tried to be really good? Tried to just obey the rules? Do what you're supposed to do? Do your duty to God? Maybe some of you have never done that. You've never stepped into it. I have, okay? <laughs> I've really tried to obey this stuff, and it's really hard it's frustrating. It's like the more I try to obey and the more I try to do my duty to God, the more I, I fail in different areas, and I never seem to get bar- beyond it. And, it, and it's just, it really kind of weighs down, because I know that another one of the commands, another one of the things I should be doing is telling people about Jesus and how wonderful it is to follow him, but quite frankly, I found that it's not that fun to follow him, because it's just really hard to obey all these rules, And I beat myself up. And I know, though, that if I do all of these things and I just kind of struggle through maybe a little bit bit better life, I probably still feel guilty all the time. But there's coming a day. Oh, there's coming this day when I'm going to die. And then I I get to go to heaven. It's going to be this amazing place. But up until then, it's going to be terrible. Right? But see, there's something missing in that picture. And this young man, he realizes that something's not right. There's something beyond just obeying these rules. So Jesus answers him, if you want to be perfect, go, sell all of your possessions, give them to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And then after you have done that, you come and you follow me. Ouch. I mean, that's, That's pretty steep. I think that this guy really was intrigued by Jesus. I think that he's been watching. He's seen some of the things, some of the people that that Jesus has interacted with. And uh, so far, this one has never come up. I mean, we've got a time where there was a tax collector. This was a guy who was not trying to obey God's law. And Jesus came by. His name was Zacchaeus. He was a wee little man. He climbed up in a sycamore tree. Maybe you've heard about him. Well, Jesus, he goes back with Zacchaeus. And he loves on Zacchaeus. And, and Zacchaeus, after a little bit of time with Jesus, says, you know, I've been a tax collector. I've been stealing from people. I am not going to do this anymore. And in fact, I'm going to find those people that I defrauded. I'm going to go and I'm going to pay them back double. And then I'm going to come and I'm going to take half of everything that I own. I'm going to sell it. I'm going to give it to the poor. And Jesus says nothing. In fact, he says, really, you know, look, a son of Abraham has has been saved. You know what he doesn't say? He doesn't say, Zacchaeus, what about the other 50%? Go sell that. He doesn't tell that to Zacchaeus. He doesn't tell that to anybody else. But this rich young ruler comes and he tells him, I want you to sell everything. It makes no sense. You know, another part about this that I don't understand is why Jesus even said it in the first place. Like, part of me just wishes I could go back and be a consultant for Jesus. Now, I, I, you laugh, but I'm really actually qualified to do this because, <laughs> because I am. Don't laugh. I, before I went out and, and was going to go into the ministry, I was working on a business degree. And one of the pastors, I said, I feel this call. He said, hey, you're halfway there. Finish the business degree. You'll use it. So I did. And then I got this Bible Christian service degree. So I'm really apt to be a a consultant to Jesus because I've got this business background and I've also got some Bible Christian service. I know some Old Testament stuff. And so I could come and consult Jesus. And here's one of the things that I'm going to tell Jesus. He's going about this all wrong. This guy is, is a rich young ruler. You don't go tell him to sell everything, give it to the poor and come follow you. What you tell him to do is to begin to tithe, to give 10%, particularly to the ministry that Jesus is part of, and then you allow him to use his businesses to continue to gain wealth. As his businesses grow, that 10% grows, and suddenly we have exponential growth. This guy, I mean, he may start tithing $100,000, but before long, he's going to be tithing a million dollars. And then think about all the people that are going to be saved. Or at the very least, put it in a trust that's kind of growing so it keeps up with inflation over time. I mean, where is the principles of the time value of money? You know, it's just, and here's the other thing. This guy has connections. He's a ruler. He's tied in with the, you know, I mean, we could get some PR stuff for Jesus' campaign here. Seriously. I mean, he could get this, he could get Jesus an audience with people that he may not have an audience with right now. So many different things could be happening here. But isn't that something about Jesus? I mean, even myself, I I think about those things. I try not to act on them, but I'm always, they're there, you know? But Jesus, he just, it's like money, politics, power, you know, it just didn't, it it did not phase him, did not affect him, all right? And Jesus was a real man. These are real stories. This stuff really happened, unfazed by that. Okay, well, maybe what it is is that Jesus is really hung up on the poor. I mean, come on, if you know nothing about Jesus, don't you know that, that he's really kind of well-known for liking poor people and wanting to give to poor people? In fact, that's kind of what churches are famous for, is, is kind of our thing. And uh, maybe Jesus is just about, hey, I want to help out the poor. I'm zealous about it. Let's do it now. Sell it all. Give to the poor. I don't think that Jesus is really as caught up on the poor as what we think. I mean, th- there's a story when Jesus was hanging around um, some of his best friends. It was Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. He used to hang out with them all the time. This is a very wealthy family. And uh, a- again, another set that he did not ask to sell everything. And uh, he's over there with Mary and Martha. And, and some of you may know this is the same Mary and Martha the, of the famed, You know, Mary was listening and Martha was working and Martha's mad at Mary. That whole piece. Well, Mary, you know, she just, she loves Jesus. She loves to listen to him, thinks that he's, you know, God or something. And, and she goes and takes this, this whole bottle of perfume that is worth a year's salary. We're talking like, you know, $35,000 worth of perfume. She takes the whole thing, instead of divvying this out over time, like it last you a couple years, she takes the whole thing, pours it on Jesus' feet, begins to wash it with her hair. And one of the the logical, prudent consultants of Jesus, one of his disciples, who's very much like me, came along and said, Jesus, this is not what we should be doing here. Rather, why don't you take that, we could sell that, and we could give that money to the poor. You know what Jesus said? He said, no. He says, you're always going to have the poor with you. They'll be poor from here until I come back again but I'm only with you for a short time. And what she has done, she has done to honor me. And you know that disciple, that logical one? His name was Judas. He's the one who ended up betraying Jesus. Okay. Jesus says, I want you to go and sell everything that you own. Come follow me. Because this will make you perfect. The Greek word there is teleos, and it's, it's not quite the way that we use perfect. We hear perfect, we hear Jesus say, you know, be perfect as I am perfect, and we go, oh, that's, that's a joke. There's no way I can do that. That's, you know, that, that's, might as well write that out of the Bible. But what he's talking about here is not so much absolute perfection, but coming to full maturity, coming to a full knowledge and understanding of who Jesus is and who I am and what he wants me to operate and how I'm to conduct myself. And so what Jesus does As he comes, and he does not give this rich young ruler advice. He gives him an invitation. He does not give him a commandment. He gives him a choice. And all of the world revolves on a choice. Think about your choices that you've made. Think about some of the smallest choices. Little choices that you didn't think had that much of a consequence. And they have utterly shaped your life. And when I was in high school, there was this girl who was absolutely beautiful. And uh, when prom, my junior year, came around, she had already been asked out a couple of times. And, uh, and she turned these boys down. And her mother told her, this next guy that asks you out, just go out with him, okay? It's not like you have to marry him. And that was Lisa, and I'm the one that asked her out. <laughs> and so you got to be careful about your choices, Okay? Because little choices have big impacts. I mean, I can think of other times in my life where my entire life has hinged on a small choice. Between Bible college and seminary, I worked for Sprint, which is headquartered in in, uh, in Kansas City. And uh, afterwards, I'd only been there nine months, kind of on a temp thing, and uh, they offered me a full-time position. And making a lot more money than I ever reached like five or six, seven, eight years later, into ministry, and I could have had it that day. And I remember going, maybe you know, maybe do this for a little bit and then jump into ministry. But choosing not to do that has altered, the you know, the course of my life. I think about the time that that I was hanging out at Applebee's, working as a bar back, and one of the the, the waitresses there, she says, "Hey, we have been doing some church hopping. You want to come? Go check out a different church." And on a whim, just that one day, I made that choice. Visited that church. My parents ended up going after that, and I ended up joining. It catapulted me into ministry. I'm here today because a simple choice that I made in an Applebee's. Little choices. They shape our lives. They send us in, in, in wildly different direction, directions. And Jesus throws one out to this young ruler. I don't know what he expected that day what he thought was going to happen. But he was given a choice that would utterly change his life. And the choice was simply this. Who's going to be your master? Who are you going to follow? Are you going to follow God or are you going to follow money? Now, if you follow money, you're always going to be working for that money. You're always going to be fighting for it. You may think that that money is there to serve you, to make your life easier, but you will find in some type of flip-flop and tangled web that it gets flipped around and you end up working for that money. You end up becoming its slave. And the opposing is a gift from from God to follow the creator of the universe and to learn from him and to experience his love and his mercy and his joy every day. It's funny that, that when Jesus was laying out the commandments that this guy needed to follow, that he started from like six and worked his way to five. He went five through nine. But you know what number one is? You shall have no other gods before me. I guess Jesus was just going to kind of work him into number one. And a little bit earlier, you know what Jesus said? He says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and he will love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. I mean, many have tried, but you cannot do this. This is a truth. Why do you desire wealth in the first place? I mean, just kind of start to work it back. Why do you desire wealth? Is it because that you would like to have a little bit more control in your life? Do you want to have some more money for retirement so that you can make some choices about what you're going to do? Would you like to be able to, to, to say, hey, I'm tired and I want a break. I want some money so that I can just be able to go on a vacation when I want. Or I can quit my job and go to a different one. Or I can make sure and control that my kids get a good education that I can live in a neighborhood that will offer us more protection. We want control. In essence, we want to, to take the place of God. I mean, that's what happened from the fall. We've always been wanting to do that because the opposite side of it is that I have to trust in God. I have to trust that He's going to take care of me. I have to walk by faith that He's going to provide for me. No longer am I the one in control, but He's the one in control. I have to acknowledge in that moment that he is supreme. Well, what was this young man's choice? What did he do? When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. And then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished. And they asked, who can be saved then? And Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. You see, this one throws a curveball to their whole entire worldview. Because their understanding is that if you obey those commandments that we just talked about, if you do those and you are a good person, then God will bless you. And he will bless you both financially. You will look beautiful. You will have all this stuff come your way. And likewise, if you are not obeying those commandments then you're going to find that your business does not run quite as smoothly. And if you're really, really bad, you're going to find out that you're blind or you're lame or you're a leper. This guy was the quintessential person who was, if anybody was there ready to go to heaven, it was this guy. I mean, he was rich. He was already a ruler. And he was a good guy. He'd been obeying the commandments. That's not the way it works. You see, you're going to have to sell everything. Nobody's getting out of this message today You're going to have to ask yourself. And and this is the thing. Nobody can avoid this question either. You can't go, I'm glad that Jesus didn't ask me that. (laughs) You know, I'm glad he asked the rich young ruler. He didn't throw that onto me. No, I promise you, he will ask you. All right, you will be tested. It may not be the money. It will be whatever that one thing is that you care about most. It's the one thing that you value the very most. Maybe he'll come and ask you to give up your job. Maybe he will ask you to, to give up great sums of your wealth. Maybe all of it. Maybe he's going to require you to give up your children. Oh, no, God wouldn't do that, would he? I mean, money's one thing, but he's never going to ask me to give up my kids. And we have some really good friends of ours that were on staff at our old church. And they went out to um, be a part of church planning out in Los Angeles. And they left this you know, 2,300 square foot home to go out there and they, they pay like twice as much. They have half as much income coming in. And now they're in a two-bedroom apartment and they've got two kids. So it's four of them in a two-bedroom apartment. And uh, they are they are loving their life. They're loving serving people and being where God wants them to be. But when people heard this, they said, Hey, I understand you want to run out, but your time for doing that kind of stuff is past. You've got kids right now. And you're going out into areas that aren't very safe. And uh, when my wife and I got the bug to do church planning and you know, we, we were headed toward Miami. I mean, it was like a locked-in thing. And we started hearing this stuff too because Miami is the second most unchurched city in the United States. It's also got the second highest crime rate. And in Miami, they're like, you know, equal opportunity with the crime rate. They, they don't just keep it in little pockets. They spread it around, even to the nice areas so that everybody can get a taste of it. And we co- started hearing this, you know. You're not going to take your kids there. They're also well-known for having one of the worst school districts in the entire country. And so people kept saying, what are you thinking? You've got to think more about, you know, than just yourself and the kingdom. You've got to think about your kids, okay? I mean, God would never ask us to give up our children, sacrifice for them. I mean, think about, you know, what did God do with Abraham? Abraham, he was a follower of the Jewish nation. He had promised, God says, I am going to raise up a great nation through you. And as they got older and his wife Sarah went through menopause, you know, Things were looking a little bleak. I mean, there's not too many pregnancies occur once you go through menopause. And yet God brought about this miracle child, Isaac. He said, this is the child. This is the one that I'm gonna do. This great, you know, multitudes, you know, hundreds. Your your descendants are gonna be like the, the, the stars in the sky. And oh, by the way, Abraham, if you really love me, I want you to take your son, Isaac. I want you to go up a hill and I want you to sacrifice him. And Abraham did. He went up there. And he reared back that knife. And the the Hebrew word says that basically he came down. It was coming down. And at that last second, God called him off, gave him a ram. But I have no doubt. I mean, think about it. Does Jesus not love us? Does he not call us his children? Does God not love us? And yet, we're called to go and die. If God is willing to do that with his children, how much more are we? Here's a way to test this stuff. What you need to do is just think. What is that one thing right now? you care about most what's that one thing that you would grab out of your house if the the house was burning what's the one thing that you just i'll give it all up but this that's what god wants you to give up and he will test you in it you know I, i was reading through this passage and i kept thinking oh this is about money it's about giving this away but the more i think about it i don't think that this passage is about money at all i think this is about two things love and fear that's what it is It's about love and fear. I mean, this man, he didn't want to give up all the things because he was afraid, right? I mean, if he gives it up, maybe he's going to go hungry. He doesn't have to worry about that now. He was afraid of going hungry. He was afraid of not being able to control his environment. He was afraid that he wasn't going to have the same influence that he had before when he was wealthy. He was afraid that maybe he wouldn't get the kind of medical care if he stepped out and he followed Jesus. And fear was ruling his life. But Jesus loved him said it right there. He says, I love you. And Jesus wanted this man to love him more than he loved all those things. And see, that's the thing, love. Love is powerful. You know, there's one disciple of Jesus that, and it's really one of his closest friends of his disciples, and he's always referenced in John as the disciple that Jesus loved. And he wrote these words in a letter once. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Okay, that is profound. I'm going to read it one more time. Listen carefully. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. That one who fears... Is not made perfect; hasn't come to full maturity in love. We love because He first loved us. You know, in this world, there's hardly anything I'm more afraid of than snakes. Seriously, I just—my grandfather, when I was a kid, he raised me on these snake stories: snakes, water moccasins climbing in his boat, uh, turning over rocks, snakes there, snakes everywhere. My grandfather was scared of snakes; he passed that on to me. I cannot stand to look at a snake; I get the heebie-jeebies. Okay. But here's how I know that this passage is true. If you had just put a bunch of poison snakes, imagine that they're right up here on stage, right in this area, okay? I mean, cobras, the spitting cobras, the vipers, all that stuff they have in Australia, the nasty ones. And you have all these snakes, there is no way. I mean, I can just feel it right now. I don't even want to go over there. But I can imagine a scenario where I would come over and I would pick up those snakes and just throw them like they were just a, a stick of wood no fear. Do you know what that scenario is? All you have to do is you just take one of my kids and you place one of my kids around all of those poisonous snakes, and the fear that I would have, even on my own, is gone in an instant. And I will pick up those snakes and not think twice of it. And as they bite me, it doesn't matter. No fear. I always tell my little girls this. We have this thing. I go, you know, I said, Brooklyn, Tressa, what would happen if a, if a lion just came out of the woods and and, and was, was about ready to attack you, what would daddy do? And, you know, they've heard this so many times they don't even want me asking it, but they always say, daddy would come, he'd fight the lion. Because I love my kids so much. I care about them so much that I'm so, it's just the fear is gone. I'm afraid of nothing. That's the kind of love that I have for them. And Jesus is saying, I want you to come follow me. I want you to love me so much that you're not afraid of anything else. And in fact, all those things that you were doing out of duty, You don't even do them out of duty anymore. You do it because you love me. I mean, the the love propels you. You All of us are going to have choices in our life. They're going to come at you this week, okay? I'm thinking even just in a couple weeks, we're going to start this new campaign called Beyond Sunday. We want it to go beyond right here. We want people experiencing Jesus throughout their days. We want them engaged in life groups, groups of about 4 to 12 people who get together study God's word, love on one another, do life, are accountable. We're going to encourage you to join one. It'll be a choice. You'll have this choice. Or every week you get a choice. You got this what's up card? You could say, hey, this week I'm going to live for the kingdom. I'm going to advance it. I want to plug in. I want to serve. I want to be a part of what's happening here. You could do that today. The tests are always going to come. And the thing about choices is that choices always catapult us into the future. They, they send us in there. What happened to this young man? I wish the scriptures told us. I would like to know what happened to him, but the scriptures say nothing about it. What I do know is that he didn't end up following Jesus. He didn't end up uh, experiencing all the things that those disciples did. And, and had he gone down that path, he would have learned from Jesus, he would have grown, he would have experienced amazing things. Now maybe he lived out a life and it was, it was fine, you know, uneventful. Maybe he had a good marriage and a good time with his kids. Had he done Jesus? He would have gone on the ride of his life. And you know what happened to almost every one of Jesus' disciples? They were murdered. Had he chose to follow Jesus, he probably wouldn't have died as his old man. He would have, he would have been murdered, probably tortured. And he would have done it willingly. And I can't help but think this one question. Wouldn't it be better to live a life where you die, but you live that life with something that so impassioned you, so drove you, that you were willing to die for it, than to have lived a life where you were always just afraid and never stepped out, never did what God called you to do. Peter, he heard all this, he answered him, he says, we've left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? And Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth at the renewal of all things. When the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones. You will judge the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left house or brother or sister or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many of those who are first will be last, and many of those who are last will be first. Many of those who gave up their life in in this time will end up gaining their life for eternity. And not just in the future, but now. They'll gain something worth living for. And many of those who will try to always protect their life, always protect their things, always protect where they're at, will find out that they never really held on to those things in the first place. And they will lose everything that God has called them to. Heavenly Father, I know that you are doing great things. And that you are working through your people. And I'm so thankful that you have invited us on an adventure even one that may end in our death and us giving up everything else. But Lord, we want to eagerly run and follow to experience the love. It is in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.